I want to invite you to join me in John chapter 4. We are picking up where we left off last week. Um, we'll be reading verses 43 through the end of the chapter, 54. Uh, as we prepare to go there, would you bow with me in prayer? Father, as we turn to this passage that you have for us today, I ask that you would bless us with your presence that you might grant us a new and deeper understanding, not merely of the words that we will read on a page, but of Jesus Christ, the living word. Draw us into intimacy, into union. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let me, <clears throat> let me introduce this text the way I believe the Bible introduces this text. Uh, if you recall last week we were, in, um, we were finishing up the conversation that Jesus had had with the Samaritan woman at the well. And he was with her as he was passing through Samaria on the way to Galilee. So with that... Uh, verses 43 through 45 are just a bit of a transition, but in this transition there is a hint to where we're going to go in the verses that follow. I'll, I'll, I'll intro the later verses with these three. After the two days he departed from Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So, <clears throat> there's a bit of confusion, uh, at least on my, in my mind, uh, with these verses. Um, Jesus is heading north. He's heading to Galilee. His hometown, Nazareth, is in the region of Galilee. So, that makes verse 44 confusing for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. It's confusing for a couple of reasons. Number one, I don't know about you, but when I know that someone is going to not receive me, when I know someone is going to reject me, that's generally a place I don't go. <laughs> Why would Jesus go where he knew they would reject him? It's one question. We ought to ask today. But the other one uh, becomes confusing when we connect 44 to 45. On one hand, in, in 44, it says that, that a prophet is without honor in his own hometown. He's going to his hometown. And then in 45, it says that they welcomed him. So which is it? Are they going to reject him or are they going to welcome him? Well, both. <laughs> How can it be both? How can they reject and welcome these verses are offered in anticipation of Jesus going up to Galilee. If we look to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, they reference this uh, saying of Jesus that a prophet is without honor in his own hometown after they reject him. It's sort of a, this is what I knew would happen. But it can be both here as Jesus goes because they were confused. We get confused because they were confused. How's that for clarity? 
Why were they welcoming him? Verse 45, why were these Galileans welcoming Jesus? They heard what he could do. They heard about the miracles, and they wanted one. They wanted one for themselves. And so the Galileans, in in verse 45, were welcoming Jesus for what he did and not for who he was. It's a bit of a hint of where we're going in in this passage. It's It's a theme that we'll hear again in John. There's this tension. Jesus is this miracle worker. Do we want the miracles or do we want Jesus? We'll, we'll hear it again in, in John 6 as Jesus feeds the, the 5,000. But it asks us, what are we looking for in Jesus? Do we, do we believe in Jesus to get stuff? Or do we believe in Jesus to get Jesus? That's the question that's before us in this text. It's the question that, that these few transition verses tee up. So back to the first confusion, uh, question, confusing question I offered. Why would he go there? Why would Jesus go where he knows he's going to be rejected? John 2 says that he knew what was in the heart of man, and he knew what was in the heart of man all the way up to Galilee, and he went anyway. Because by grace, he knew that some would believe. And so let's hear the story of one. We'll turn back to verses 46 through 54. This is the inerrant and infallible word of God. So he came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday. At the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. So I have a friend named Rich. Rich is a magician. Um, probably more um, specifically, he's an illusionist. He, he performs card tricks, and they're pretty impressive. When I first met Rich, and, and he, would, he would do some card tricks, I was just fascinated, but I'll just tell you that the more I watched him do these card tricks, I, I was watching him trying to, trying to figure out what was going on. I was, I was watching him... Uh, Waiting to see him fail. Waiting to see if he would mess up along the way. He never did. <laughs> Tricks just seemed to get better and, and, and better. And, and so pretty soon when Rich would come around, I, I would just say, hey, show me a trick. 
I can't wait to see. If there was somebody new there in the crowd, I would, I would bring them to them, and I would just step back to watch what was about to happen because he would, he would do some trick that would just blow their mind. You know, somewhere along the way, I began to believe that Rich could perform the tricks. <laughs> I believed in the trick. Is that how you believe in Jesus? Jesus can do the trick. I know it's probably a little crass to compare Jesus to my friend Rich, and Rich certainly would not make that comparison himself, and none of us would would speak of Jesus this way, but the way we really say it is what we're asking Jesus to do for us. What are you looking for Jesus to do for you? The Galileans, they welcomed Jesus. They welcomed him with open arms. Why did they welcome him with open arms? Because the last time he was there, he was performing a miracle. He turned the water to wine, and it was a whole lot of wine. Plenty to go around. They wanted more. And they probably had heard about the stories when he was back down in Jerusalem, and here he comes again. So the word spread. The showman, he's coming back. They came out to welcome him, and and along the way, the official heard. The official heard, and and he came out to see what was next. As we think about this, it, it sort of begs the question for us. Who's the real Jesus? Who is the real Jesus? And, and, and maybe the question that's followed behind that is, is the real Jesus the one that we want? We all get that confused from time to time. But the truth is the real Jesus, whether he's the one that we want in the moment, he's the one that we need. This passage draws that out for us, and we need to understand this text to to really grasp it. We just said that Jesus had returned, and all the people welcomed him, and the official heard. Who is this official? The the word here, referring to the official, speaks of a, a, a royal official. This is not a religious official. This is this is a member of the royal court, the court of Herod. Um. He was likely a man of wealth, a man of, of status, a Roman, or closely connected to the Romans. Just for a quick pause, I, I want you to see some encouragement in this. Remember last week, we, we heard these, these Samaritans, uh, remember they were the, the half-breeds. They closed with that confession, Jesus is the Savior of the world. Think about the progression we've heard in John. We we saw Jesus with Nicodemus, the the religious official, the teacher. Jesus came for him. And then we saw Jesus with the Samaritan woman at the well. Remember the one who had the five husbands? And now we've gone from a religious teacher to a Samaritan woman to a Roman. You see, he really is 
He really is the Savior of the world. He is the Savior of all kinds of people. And just as Jesus intentionally went through Samaria to meet with the woman at the well, he intentionally goes to Galilee to talk with this man. This man comes to see Jesus. Again, why? Because he heard that Jesus had miraculous powers. This man was not there because he had connected the Old Testament dots of prophecy and came to see the long-awaited Messiah. No, he was not there because of his theology. He was there because of his desperation. His son was at the point of death. And he needed a miracle. And he came to the miracle worker. Jesus heard that. He heard this man's anxious heart cry and He says something that to our ears sounds rude. It's abrupt. Verse 48, Jesus sees the man, sees his anguish, hears his cry and says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Why would Jesus say that to him? Well, understand he's saying it to more than just him. The you in verse 48, it's it's plural. Jesus may have the man in front of him, but he's speaking to the crowd. Unless y'all see a sign, unless y'all see a miracle, unless y'all see a trick, you won't believe. Well, the man hears that, and he may understand the rebuke, but he says, Jesus, we'll, we'll deal with that later. We don't have time right now for a theology lesson. My son is about to die. And Jesus graciously, mercifully, Promises the sign. Go. Your son will live. The text says that the man believed. I, I, I first read that, I think, great, he, he gets it. But if we continue reading, we see the rest of the story that the story is unpacking a bit of a progression in this belief. At this point in the story, The man believed that Jesus could perform the trick. Much the same way I believe Rich could do the magic trick. But Jesus wasn't done. He wasn't done with the man. He wasn't done with the man's heart. We've heard in in John 3, in the beginning of John 4, this call for the new birth, that it... This gift of salvation is a miraculous gift of the Holy Spirit changing the cold, dead heart and and bringing it to life. And and there will be a progression in this man's belief that we will see. He he walks back and, and along the way, his servants meet him and tell him the good news. Your son is recovering. The man wants a little bit more details. He asks when he began to get better. Yesterday. Yesterday. Oh yeah, it was at the very hour that Jesus declared that your son would live. And and with those words, we see the full progression in this man's belief. Verse 53, he himself believed and all his household. In the, in the first description of belief, the man believed that Jesus could and would perform the miracle. But in the second statement, by the grace of God, the man believed into Jesus for salvation. The man and his household. 
describing this covenantal pattern that we see repeated throughout the book of Acts. When this belief came to the person and to their own household. I believe what the Lord is showing us in this progression is this progression into saving faith. The question for us today is, do we know the difference? Do we know the difference in believing that Jesus can do the miracle? And Jesus is the Savior of sinners. It's one thing for us to understand the text. It's one thing for us to understand intellectually that there is a progression here. And yes, we need to see that. But it's another thing entirely for us to personally wrestle with the real Jesus. And then personally wrestling with the real Jesus to honestly ask the question for ourselves. Which are we seeking? Jesus the worker of wonders or Jesus the savior of sinners? Are we believing in an act? Are we believing a sign or, or are we believing in a person? Are we desiring the act? Are we desiring the sign or are we desiring the person? Now as I put those questions before you, I want to be crystal clear on something. The problem is not in the asking. In fact, it would be a problem not to ask. God commands us to ask. Our God is a miracle-working God. Our God is all-powerful. Our God is able. He was then and He is today. Our God is a miracle-working God and He calls us to trust in Him in prayer and to bring our needs before the throne of grace. The problem is not the ask. Please do not hear me saying that. It would be a sin for us not to ask, not to bring our needs before God. Do you know that, that we're called to bring our needs before the Lord? Scripture tells us if anyone is sick, call, let them call the elders. And the elders will come and, and anoint with oil and pray for healing. Do you know that we do that? In obedience to God's word, we come in faith and pray over the sick, believing that God is able to heal them. Please, please ask. Let us come into your life and pray over you. God commands it and we do it in obedience to his command and believing in faith. Many of us here have big asks. Many of us here have big needs. What sign are you looking for this morning? Some of us are here and deep need of our heart is for a job, it's for work, it's for meaningful work. It is, some of us have been without for some time and just pleading, Lord, give me this ability to do the thing for which you have created me to do. Is that your need? Some of us are here this morning and the deep longing of our heart is for a relationship. Whether it be a relationship with a friend, whether it be for a spouse. Some of us have experienced the brokenness of relationship and we're longing for the Lord to heal. Some of us are lonely. 
and we have prayed for many years. Is the deep need of your heart this morning for physical healing for you or, or a loved one? Either because of a long-term affliction or a recent diagnosis, are you feeling this deep need for a miracle in your life or in the life of your loved one that there would be healing? We have these deep longings in our heart. And for many of us, we have been waiting for a long years, desperate for some time. And, and in that need, there, there's a deeper question that we don't always verbalize. Where is God in all of this? Does He care? Does He love me? In John 4, the man brought his need to Jesus. And Jesus healed him. But what about those of us who don't get the answer that we want? What about the, those of us who, who have been bringing our need to Jesus and we get a no? What, what does that say about God's ability? What does that say about our own faith? And better yet, does Jesus love us when the answer is no? These are real life questions. That I know are on your hearts. I have talked with some of you this very week as you've wrestled over these questions. So we question, who is the real Jesus? But the real Jesus invites us to bring those questions to him. As we wrestle with them, though, they, they all have a tendency to present themselves as a question behind the question, and that is the question of why. We've all asked it. We've all wrestled with the question of, of why, but the truth is when we switch over to, to why, it gets real complicated real quick. Because when we ask why, oftentimes we make a short leap from why to, to a demand. Why is not a question that we can answer. It's not a question that I will try and answer for you, but the world will try. And the world will try to answer the question of why in a variety of ways. At times, the world will offer to you a different belief system, a different version of getting your answer, a different happiness. And then, yet, there are other times when worldly religion will tell you the answer is a Stronger faith, a more correct faith, that if you believe rightly and strongly then and only then you will get your answer. But we must resist placing these demands on Jesus and looking for these answers in those places because both are desiring the sign rather than the person. So how are we to handle the waiting? Do you remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? <laughs> Maybe you heard it when you were a child. The story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is found in Daniel chapter 3. These were three friends who, who were uh, 
good Jewish boys who were taken into exile from Jerusalem into Babylon under King Nebuchadnezzar. At the time, King Nebuchadnezzar set up a, a golden idol. And he made a command that all in, in Babylon would bow the knee to worship this image. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, no, sir. We will not bow the knee. This, this infuriated Nebuchadnezzar, and, and he had his, his servants stoke a fire in a fiery furnace. And he said, if you do not bow, I will throw you in that furnace. Daniel 3, verses 16 through 18, we find Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's confession they answered the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego Faced with a dilemma. <laughs> Worship or die. And they said, our God is able. Our God is still able, by the way. Our God is still able. And he was able in Daniel chapter 3. And then they said, he will deliver us from you. But if not, he is still God. And we will not bow the knee to worship at your idol. But if not, we will still worship him. How will we, you and I, handle the no? How will we, you and I, handle the not yet? Will we still worship him? Why does God provide some signs and not others? Why does God heal some and not others? Why does God provide work to some and not others? Why does, he, why does He heal the broken relationships of some and not others? Why does God allow suffering? I don't have those answers. I don't have those answers for you. I can't and won't answer in the midst of the struggle. It would be arrogant at best for me to try but there's a different question that we ought to answer and it's this why would he heal this boy in John chapter 4 why did God heal that one well I believe John in the context of his gospel account gives us that answer you see at the end of the gospel in John chapter 20 verse 31 he he tells us why he has written this gospel account, and he tells us why he has included these signs. He tells us why he has included this sign. John 20, verse 31, we see these, these signs, these miracles, this miracle, they are written so that you and I might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John includes this sign, not so that we can believe in the sign, but so that we can believe in the person behind the sign. And that the person behind the sign is the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
And that in that belief, we might have life in His name. John did not include this healing of the official's son so that we would believe in the sign, but so that we would believe in Jesus. The text is pointing us to the real Jesus. It's exposing our wrestling. But for those of us who are looking for the sign, who are wrestling with the no that we seem to consistently hear, I want you to know this from Scripture. The real Jesus, He's the only one. He's the only one who can provide true and lasting hope. When we pray, when we bring our ask, which we must, in obedience to Scripture, we must ask of the Lord. But when we do that, every one of us, we're asking some version of the same question. We're asking God, will you spare me pain? God, will you spare me despair? Will you spare me loneliness? Will you spare me suffering? And while we sit and wait for the answer that we have begged for, some of us begin to question God's ability. Some of us begin to question our own faith. Some of us begin to question God's heart for us. But Jesus, Jesus is the one who can uniquely answer that question. Because Jesus is the one who uniquely understands our hurt. You see, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus asked a very similar question to ours. In the Garden of Gethsemane, on the very night when Jesus would go to the cross, he asked, God, will you spare me? In Mark chapter 14, verse 36, we read his words, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Did you hear the echo of Daniel chapter 3? Did you hear the echo of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's confession? Did you hear in Jesus' prayer, Father, you are able. Will you? But if not, you see, as Jesus was approaching the cross that night, he knew what lay before him. He knew the cup of wrath that he was to drink on the cross that night, and he asked the Father to spare him. Praise be to God, he submitted to the will of the Father, and then he received that cup of wrath from him on our behalf. And friends, there is encouragement in this truth. The encouragement is this. Jesus knows our struggle. Jesus knows what it is to ask. And to not receive the sign that we are looking for. But also know this. There's more than encouragement. There is hope. There is hope because Jesus submitted to the Father. We feel forsaken. Jesus was forsaken. He took on our sin. Bearing our sin. Bearing the wrath of God on the cross. Ours, mine, yours. And He did it for joy. He did it 
for the joy that was placed before him. So that he might become the author and the perfecter of our faith. Dear brothers and sisters, which Jesus are you looking for? Which Jesus are you believing in? The worker of signs who holds out the possibility of a miracle for you, and yes, he is able. Or are you looking for the Savior of sinners who performed the ultimate miracle? The one who took our place in death, that he might secure our place in life. This, beloved, is the real Jesus. This is the Christ. This is the Son of the living God. Don't wait. Don't wait until you have it all figured out. Don't wait until you get the answer that you want. Bow the knee. Bow the knee to the Son of God, the Savior of sinners, who took on sin for you believe in his name. Father, you are almighty. Father, you are all capable, oh Father. You are a miracle working God. And we have big needs and we bring them before you. We ask for healing. We ask for wholeness. And we ask for redemption. Trusting in your grace, trusting in your will, trusting in your love, grant what you have promised, we pray in Christ's name.